This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. seconds to go. Calgary leading 1-0. Puck into the neutral zone. They gain the Calgary line, but Alexander True was offside. Here's Podorowski is by himself. Snaps it in. Blocker saved by Dustin Wolf. And that will do it. It might be 38 degrees outside, but Dustin Wolf with ice in his veins. His first shutout of the postseason. And guess what? We're going to a fifth and deciding game in the Pacific Division Finals. That was Sandra Persina on the call last night. As yes, Dustin Wolf, your MVP. Your goaltender of the year, again, comes through for the Calgary Wranglers. They shut out the Coachella Valley Firebirds, one nothing in Game 4, and now set up a series-deciding Game 5 Friday night in Coachella Valley. Welcome to Sportsnet Today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. Hour 2 of the program on this Thursday afternoon. Uh, alongside my outstanding producer, Taylor Dingman, this afternoon. Uh, we had a busy hour one, checking in with former NHLer, former Florida Panther and Calgary Flame, Bill Lindsay, now the radio color voice of the Florida Panthers, uh, checking in on all things Florida ahead of their matchup against the Carolina Hurricanes tonight. Game one of the Eastern Conference final go, so you got some more NHL playoff uh, hockey on your televisions tonight and on your radio. We'll carry it for you here on Sportsnet 960, the fan with a 6 p.m. puck drop. Really looking forward to that. We'll talk about that a little bit more this segment as well. Uh, as the first time since 1996 when Bill Lindsay was a member of the um, Florida Panthers that um, the Panthers have been in an Eastern Conference final. So it's been a bit. They're going for their first Stanley Cup ever. Carolina would like to, of course, get their second. But they got to deal with uh, two more series to get to. Western Conference final kicks off tomorrow night with the Dallas Stars and the Vegas Golden Knights. But our focus right now, at least, on those Calgary Wranglers who continue to have nothing but uh, close games with Coachella Valley. This one, a full team effort. They keep their Calder Cup hopes alive with a one nothing victory in Coachella Valley on uh, Wednesday night. This best of five series now tied at two. Your lone goal scorer in this one, Cole Schwint. Pelche rims it around the boards, waiting for it at the blue line is Schwint. Finds Phillips, looking for a pass. Pelche, cross ice, Dryden Hunt to Schwint, and they score! Calgary gets on board first. Cole Schwint on the power play in the second period. Cole Schwint, who started off the postseason for the Wranglers as a healthy scratch, has been strong since being reinserted in the lineup, finds the back of the net last night. On the second period, in on the power play, Pelche with the puck in the offensive zone with a pass across to Hunt, over to Schwint in the high slot. He wires it over Joy Decor. That was the only goal of the game, and it was the only goal that uh, the Wranglers would need as their MVP backstop Dustin Wolf was at his finest again last night. 
Uh, massive save after massive save, ending any hope for Coachella Valley to take this one and end the series in four games. We've still got a game five to get to for this team. That'll come, like I mentioned, on Friday. But uh, another bounce back. These two teams just, again, I go back to game one, that 6-3 decision for Coachella Valley, just so out of the norm because these two teams, two of the best in the American Hockey League, happen to be in the same division, played each other eight times during the regular season, split that series 4-4. It was either a one-goal game or a two-goal game finish. Every game this series has followed that sort of script. They've been so close this entire time, and you'd have to think Friday's matchup is going to present a uh, pretty similar finish than what we've seen to what we've seen most uh, of the season, I should say, and the postseason between these two teams. Uh, let's hear from uh, the man uh, who's getting some attention across the league today, uh, thanks to a Kevin Weeks tweet a little earlier on. We'll dive into that afterwards, but it's Mitch Love. Uh, the head coach of your Calgary Wranglers, he spoke to the media last night following his team's big Game 4 victory. Well, Coach, let's just start, start talking about how impressed you were by the defense of the team tonight. Yeah, I mean, that's been a bit of our calling card all year. We, we, we want to check for our offense. Um, you know, I think more than anything, we, we just really wanted to kind of sell out as a, as a group today. We, I mean, our season was on the line. Um, there wasn't anything to save it for as a group. We wanted to spend another day or two together here, and um, we've given ourselves an opportunity. I was proud of the guys' effort, and uh, now we got to, you know, get some rest here and, and get ready to go back to work on Friday. Is it a surprise at all that these two teams are going to Game Five? Well, I don't think so. I mean, we've talked about it for a couple of weeks now, and uh, before the start of the series, we knew it was going to be a tight one. Um, I think uh, if you're a fan, this is probably what you'd want. Um, and we're we're um, we're excited for the challenge here in Game Five. Cole Schwint grabbing the goal tonight. What does he add to this team this year? Well, I think he, you know what for him. Um, you know, I said this on the radio yesterday with Pat Steinberg. Like this is great for him. You know, like um, you know, not to take any away from the Eastern Conference, but you know, our division's tough. It's tough hockey. It's physical. It's tight. Um, you got to battle through some things and and. Uh, you know, I, I was impressed with his game tonight. I thought he stepped up. Uh, we made some adjustments to our lines there. Um, and, and he really battled and dug in deep. And, and uh, it was a big goal for us. Mr. you guys lost the lead in game three. You held on to it tonight. What do you think you did better to maintain it better tonight? Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, our goalie was pretty sharp. That's that's <laughs> one, one place to start. Uh, both goalies were good again, you know. So... Um, you know, I thought we just we, we, we were composed. You know, I thought we, we had some good composure to our game. Um, got a little erratic there in the third period, which you expect. You know, the team on the other side is trying to close you out, and, and they've got some dangerous weapons over there, so they're going to come. I thought we sat back a little bit, um, but but we, we found a way, and, and that was the most important uh, part of the game. Do you feel like Dustin was due for a game like this? Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's been pretty good for us along the whole way. I mean, uh, you know, um, but he, again, he's a competitor, so he, he senses when his team needs him most, and uh, he was sharp tonight. Looking at Jeremy Poirier specifically, his first pro playoff run, what are you seeing from him right now? Well, it's great experience. Uh, real bullets start flying this time of year. I mean, th this is this is as close to NHL hockey as you're going to get, whether it's regular season or playoffs. So you, you've got to... You got to elevate your game. You got to elevate your competitiveness, your your battle level, and um, 
you know, things are tight. So, you know, a guy like him, this is valuable experience for him. And looking, last one for me, looking at last year, the playoff series that you had, you never had a winner-take-all elimination game. Bakersfield, Colorado, Chicago. What makes those types of games different to prepare for? Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, like, you know, we were down 3 nothing last year to Chicago. Um, we had a couple home wins to kind of keep our season alive and then, you know, came up short in game six in their building. Um, I think that'll be good experience for our guys coming into to a, a do-or-die game on Friday night. Um, but it, this series, this series, the season series has been even, Steven, between these two teams, and uh, you know we're we're excited to be living for another day. There you go. That is Calgary Wranglers head coach Mitch Love speaking to the media last night. Big win for his group. Uh, his group, obviously, survival uh, for them in a series that they've been down a couple of times in, but still managing to battle back and uh, continuing their season for one more game at least Friday night at Coachella Valley for an 8 p.m. puck drop. Uh, and I mentioned this earlier today as well. Kevin Weeks, one of the NHL insiders, ESPN, NHL Network has been dropping some coaching nuggets the last couple of days um, around the league, different candidates for different jobs and uh, the one that he happened to tweet out this afternoon was that he's hearing sources um, around the league having interest in Mitch Love uh, at the NHL level and wondering if he's in the mix uh, as the next head coach of the Calgary Flames. That's a sentiment that was echoed by our own Pat Steinberg on Flames Talk yesterday with Wes Gilbertson that whoever this next GM for the Calgary Flames is, I don't think they're going to tell him or her who they have to hire for, for the next head coach of this team. I think they want to make sure that the GM gets the opportunity to make that decision. But I do think, and I agree with Pat in this sentence a lot, that uh, they're going to ask them to say, hey, look, we think we have a very good candidate uh, at the AHL level in Mitch Love. Let's make sure that he's involved in the process and gets uh, a fair look with every other head coach that we look at because – much like Dustin Wolf, in a way, it's hard to discredit and continue to wait. Some organizations won't wait when it comes to, to giving a guy like Mitch Love an opportunity to go to the NHL. Is that a head coaching job? Is that an assistant coaching job? I don't know, obviously, what other teams around the league would think of, of Mitch Love, but I, I do wonder if it's time for him to... I definitely know it's time for him to take a step up. But is it more in the Ryan Huska mold? He's another coach that the Calgary Flames have developed over the last couple of years throughout their minor league system. Ryan came up and has been an outstanding assistant coach for the Calgary Flames for the last number of years. But is he a head coaching candidate for this group as well? I would imagine his name has been thrown out there as well. It's just that Mitch Love doesn't come with any NHL experience. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing, depending on who's doing the hiring, right? Again, if it's an internal candidate like we've talked about, being a Conroy, being a, a Pascal, they'll obviously have a much better book on Mitch Love than anybody else coming in as a potential GM. And I think that probably helps Mitch's case if he is going to be a serious candidate for the head coaching job here in Calgary. But it won't take long if a GM coming in who... I will, I'm going to imagine that most of them know who Mitch Love is. He's created that much buzz about himself in a very short time as the Wranglers slash Heat head coach the last number of years. 
it won't take long, even if a GM's not super familiar with him, to to dive into the organization and go, okay, this guy's doing something right. And I get more impressed every time, and I'm sure I know a lot of people feel the same way. I've seen it on Twitter. I've seen it on the text line at 960-960. Every time we play a Mitch Love press conference or you hear him talk with Pat as a regular on Flames Talk, he just has a very confident way about him that you can see how he translates to a very successful head coach. He's still pretty new to the pro side of things. He's not really all that far out from his playing days, but he's certainly taken that step to being a successful head coach very quickly. And I'm one of those people that when I hear Mitch Love talk, I sit there and go, I can see that guy being a a real leader behind the bench. I think his playing experience gives him uh, an instant connection to players. I think that's really good. I think the fact that he's not all that far removed from a playing career also helps him relate to players nowadays, but also just the way he handles himself, the way he goes about his business. He's very confident. He's very, I think from everything you've heard, very honest and upfront as a, as a player and a coach. And that's very important nowadays. Uh, you know, when dealing with players as well. So I do think he's going to be a candidate, no doubt. Does he wind up being this team's next head coach? I don't know. I, I feel like lots of the GM, a lot of things we said with the GM uh, about candidates and who it could be. Uh, it's a wide open list, and I think it should be a, a pretty wide open search. But again, similar to the GM side of things, do you have um, an internal candidate that's worth uh, a couple of good looks, absolutely, and I think, I think some people would like to see a change bigger than just two guys in the organization. But I know from day one of this conversation, since Daryl Sutter uh, was relieved of his duties, there have been people that have brought up the names and said, "Hey, uh, if we go into next year with Conroy as GM and Love as the head coach, I like the direction that this team's going." Again, do I? I know that they're going that way. No, I really don't. But. I wouldn't hate it. I can I can tell you that much. I think there's two guys that are uh, due for a step up in responsibility. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Speaking of uh, step up in responsibility, um, a player who you could probably put in that category with just about everything I just said about exceeding expectations and rising up organizations, uh, Dustin Wolf, MVP of the American Hockey League, goaltender of the year for the second straight year. He plays a huge role last night in the Coachella in the win over Coachella Valley. With the shutout, he spoke to the media last night as well about his team getting to a decisive Game 5 in the Pacific Division Final. Well, let's just start with your thoughts on that one. You can put that one in the win column. How are you feeling right now? Yeah, it was good. You know, our, uh, in our meeting this morning, we wanted to uh, you know sell out for everybody. Everybody's uh, you know, contributing for each other, blocking shots, making plays when needed. And um, you know, that's exactly what the group did tonight. And, it was a complete effort from every single guy on the ice, and obviously super happy to get that one. I mean, we kind of chatted about this before, but do you block out those chants or anything that's behind you? No, I love that stuff. It's fun. Uh, um, you know, penalty late in the third, like those are the moments that you, know, you, you dream of playing, and um, you know, everybody's hating you, and they, you know, they want you to lose so badly, and it, it feels really good to uh, you know, give right back to them. So. Um, no, happy to get that that one, and obviously not not done yet. How impressed were you by the defenseman in front of you tonight, limiting those high danger chances? Yeah, our decor is unbelievable. You know, since day one of the season, and um, you know we have guys in and out, and guys rotating goals, and um, 
you know what they do their job I do mine and um, you know it's a it's a contribute contribution for from everybody and um, you know they can show that everybody was in in for everybody and um, you know it was a good effort for everybody. I think the last couple of games have shown this series is sort of turning into a goaltending battle I think and how much is, does the one-upsmanship and trying to outdo the other trying to factor into this this kind of series? No it's really fun you know obviously he's a hell of a goalie over there and um, you know, he's made some awesome saves, and he kept his team in it for sure tonight. And, um, you know what? He probably stole stole game three for him, and um, you know that's how series go. Is, is you always come out and step up and, and play well, and their teams, you know, support him. And um, you know, obviously, game five is gonna be really uh, really exciting. This is the first time in your AHL career that you've played, you know, a winner take all sort of game five and or a game seven, you know, type of game. How excited are you? No, obviously, super excited. It's you know, being down 2-1, we wanted to come in and, and give our team an effort and um, you know, to tie it up 2-2, and now, now the fun begins, right? Get a yes, uh, now the fun begins for Tustin Wolf and the Wranglers. Uh, decisive Game 5 coming up for their group on Friday, 8 o'clock, puck drop. We'll have it for you here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan, once again with the wonderful and talented Sandra Persina on the call. Uh, so that's what's going on Friday for uh, the Wranglers. Tonight, however... We're back to NHL playoff hockey, and it is the Florida Panthers. It's the Carolina Hurricanes. We've uh, talked Carolina yesterday. We talked Florida earlier today with Bill Lindsay, former NHLer, and the radio uh, color voice of the Florida Panthers as well. Interesting series uh, coming up here. The news of the day for Carolina. Tevu Teravainen is good to go. He's going to be reinserted in the lineup tonight for uh, Carolina, so that's one of those major pieces Back from injury, uh, obviously, Ryan, uh, excuse me, Andre Svechnikov and Max Pacioretty um, not coming back for this team. That's uh, the big down for them. But losing Tara Vinen was, for many people, uh, myself included, I thought maybe one of the last straws for this team offensively. Uh, I just didn't know how they were going to be able to survive two playoff rounds plus without a guy like Tara Vinen, Pacioretty, and Svechnikov in their lineup. Uh, they've done so very well, thanks in large part to uh, you know, 10 points in 11 games from one Jordan Martinook, but it's been incredible from Carolina. They're averaging 3.64 goals in the playoffs, which is up from the 3.2 that they averaged in the regular season. That doesn't seem like a big jump, but when you talk about playoff hockey, talk about the defensive side of things that gets amped up, and mention those guys that I talked about that they lost. I know they didn't have Pacioretty for a good chunk of the season, but they had Teravine and they had Svechnikov, and they've somehow been able to score more in the postseason uh, on average than they did in the regular season. It's really a remarkable stat. Um, they've had a dozen different goal scorers against New Jersey in that second round series. Some of those guys that stepped up Jesper Faust, Jesperi Kakaniemi, Natchez, Martinuk. Uh, they all scored three goals each. They will no doubt need that against this Carol, this uh, Florida team who brings this sort of chaotic offensive energy. Obviously led by Matthew Kachuk. Don't have to tell anyone in Calgary about the success he's had. Five goals, 11 assists, fifth in postseason points, while the Panthers average 3.33 goals a game. Their biggest surprise this postseason leading them to success, probably Sergei Bobrovsky, 7-2, and two, a 2.82 goals against, a 9.18 save percentage, playing some of his best hockey 
as a member of the Florida Panthers when they need him the most. And I loved what Bill Lindsay said earlier today when we talked about him. All of a sudden, if Sergey Bobrovsky can give the Panthers two good months of goaltending and they win a Stanley Cup, the contract's worth it. You forget all the struggles. You forget all the ups and downs. You really, I don't want to say you don't care what happens over the next couple of years for him when he's got $10 million against the salary cap because you do care. But again, at the end of the day, if he gives you this kind of performance and it leads to a Stanley Cup, it, in the long run, it really doesn't matter. When you needed him, he got it done, and he's been getting it done so far. Can he continue to do that? I don't know. Sergei Bobrovsky has not looked like a Vizna Trophy caliber goaltender for very long in four seasons in Florida. He's got two good rounds under his belt. Still got two more to go. Uh, Hurricanes goaltending has been an interesting one to watch as well. They've rotated. Uh, they've used three goaltenders already this postseason. But so far, it's been the former Leaf and former Duck, Freddie Anderson, who has come in winning five of his last uh, six games, 1.80 goals against, and a 931 save percentage. It's his net to start the series. Antti Ranta backing him up. He got the start. Uh, in the Islanders series back in round one for Carolina. But uh, Anderson's come in, been the better goaltender, and uh, so far has taken over the reins as the Carolina Hurricanes number one. So that'll be another battle to watch. Bobrovsky v. Anderson in goal. Once again, it's a 6 o'clock puck drop tonight. You can watch some uh, playoff hockey on your televisions across the Sportsnet Television Network. Or if you're out and about, uh, feel free to to tune in right here uh, to Sportsnet 960. The fan, we will have the game for you. Uh, tonight, starting at 6. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. Perfect way to end off a Thursday. Time to chat with Adnan Verk, MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast. That's coming up next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Jano trying to deliver it for the second time. The pitch. Swing and a high fly ball, deep left field. That's a way to win it right there. Deliver a three-run homer. Danny Jansen with his second game winner of the season. An absolute no-doubter. I think that series of the Jays and the Yankees had pretty much everything you can expect. I mean, we didn't bench clearing brawl or anything, but aside from that, I'm not sure what else you would want in a series against two pretty good AL East opponents. Welcome back to Sportsnet today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. Jays and Yankees just continue the entertainment factor. And as you heard, from Ben Wagner across the Sportsnet Radio Network last night. Danny Jansen gets it done with a three-run bomb. Taylor, what did you put in our group text last night? Daniel Robert Jansen, baby. (laughs) Daniel Robert Jansen. It's even on the rundown. Gotta gotta show him some love, you know? He deserves it. What about Biggio? 
He's he's there. He's there. He's he's there. That's a name for sure. I could fix him. Ah, good luck with that. Jason Yankees continue their series tonight. Uh, Nestor Cortez versus Jose Barrios, 507 first pitch on Sportsnet 1 with the Jays coming off that big 3 nothing win yesterday. Chat about that, uh, some different stories across baseball. He's our Thursday regular. Uh, very happy to welcome to the program on the Atlas Peach and Sports Bar guest hotline. It is Adnan Verk joining us today. Verk, how are you, pal? Logo, always a pleasure to catch up. You know, my wife couldn't care less what I do as long as the, the check's clear every two weeks. But I did make it a point of showing her the uh, <laughs> the thing you built last week where I said the only thing I'm, the only way I'm having a seventh kids with Monica Bellucci. So I showed it to her. I wouldn't say she was thrilled with it, but I said, well, I don't want you anything going on behind your back. And I posted stuff on social, a little tongue-in-cheek joke, and then, so that she, she did laugh about it. I think she, I think she commented back, because I, I posted it, and she said, well, I still be around at this time. I said, I hope so. But as, <laughs> as we discussed, I would be 79 emulating Robert De Niro having a seventh child, and Monica Bellucci would be 93. God uh, bless. I love that your relationship is strong enough to share that sort of thing. And we got some... Uh, De Niro to talk about before we get through today because uh, he was in one of the most anticipated uh, trailers for a movie that came out uh, a little bit earlier today. We'll dive into that uh, a little bit more coming up. But how uh, how much have you enjoyed this Jays-Yankees series, Virg? We've had a little bit of everything. Controversy, uh, Aaron Judge is looking over at teammates to see who's chirping in a 6 nothing game, question mark. We've had a 10-game suspension. We've had walk-off home runs. It's been pretty entertaining between the two AL East rivals. Yeah, I mean, it's been incredible. And I feel like I got a front-row seat to all of it. Because, again, as you know, I'm doing the show with Harold Reynolds from 6 to 7 or 6 to 8 Eastern every night. So we've been building up to the game and then watching it. And, you know, baseball is never better when it's emotional. And seeing Judge and the whole peaking issue and – Again, Dan Schumann and Buck Martinez, who are both a phenomenal job, just speculating what was going on. Judge very angrily denouncing and saying, you know, he kind of wants to have a word with them. And then the next night, a little bit of gamesmanship from John Schneider and company, telling the third baseman to get back in the box. I believe it looked like shut your fat mouth along those lines. <laughs> Schneider was saying to Brad Wilkerson, the Yankees hitting coach. My boy Aaron Boone got tossed. The Monday game also barking on Tuesday, so... These two teams don't like each other very much. You know, when you start to look at good rivalries in baseball, we're conditioned to say Yankees and Red Sox or Cubs and Cardinals or Padres and Dodgers. But the last one particularly isn't a rivalry because the Dodgers keep beating them. The Padres are really struggling. But I think Jays and Yankees is, is pretty good. And I thought last night, if the game got away from the Jays, you would just tend to think, as you and I know as lifelong baseball fans, someone's going to get drilled. I'm like, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Risto or if it's Judge. So thankfully for the Blue Jays, close game throughout. Bassett was terrific, as was Garrett Cole and Jansen with the game-winning home run. But again, it's not over just yet. If something happens, wouldn't be surprised if things get out of hand today because this has been a very emotional series. Okay, two things to get to here. If Jay Jackson, who admitted that he was tipping his pitches to the Yankees, is guilty of that, in fact, is it poor sportsmanship for the Yankees to take advantage of it, or is it on the pitcher to fix the issue and not tip away his own pitches? Yeah, I think, you know, here's the whole thing. It ain't cheating if if you're not trying. And if a guy's on second base and he steals the signs from the catcher and realizes that, he's smart. And if the first base coach is just out of the box, and again, the catcher's making it so obvious to steal the signs, and he realizes it, again, that's smart. When people get mad is when it's involving technology. If you say there's a camera out in center field, 
you know, but if someone's using binoculars, that's okay. Like there's this real fine line between if you're using human intelligence, fine, but computers, no way. Banging on trash cans, obviously people go nuts, buzzers, et cetera. So I'm of the opinion if, and, and by the way, this is Alex Avila who said this to me, former all-star catcher. He was with me. He said, listen, if your catcher is that sloppy and giving away the signs, then it's on you. Like, shame on you. And we noticed it in Tuesday's game that I think it was Jansen catching then because I think Kirk did Monday. Yep. But he goes, notice, he goes, notice he's given the sign late. And Alex noticed it right away. He goes, they, they have definitely made the adjustment. If indeed they were stealing signs from the catcher, he said Jansen is setting up late and he's giving the signs late. He goes, that is not by coincidence. I think it's also it's a different catcher. And I said, well, the Jays do alternate though. He says, yeah, but there was no way in hell Kirk was going to be catching Tuesday as well. It was like, you know what? Just in case, if there's a little bit of subterfuge going on, let's make sure it's Jansen. Let's get on the same page. So, yeah, I, I think if you're making it obvious to somebody, then it's embarrassing if you don't take advantage of it. You're trying to play game. But as long as you don't use technology, that's where things get a little bit awry. Uh, and then Tuesday, we have this situation come up with Yankees right-hander Domingo Armand, who gets a 10-game suspension after being booted when the uh, umps check his hands for a uh, foreign substance. Um, yes, Network reporting that uh, one of the umpires said uh, it was uh, the stickiest hand he's ever felt uh, checking a pitcher, that it wasn't rosin. Armand has come out and said, I was going to appeal, but... Turns out MLB does the appeal, so I don't have a chance of winning it. Uh, Yankee said I shouldn't do it, so I'm just going to take my suspension and go. And then it was, I believe it was a Yankees fan account that caught the view of him in the dugout, uh, Verk, where his hand is on his pants and it comes off, and you can see some sort of residue come off his pant. He gets asked about that and says, it's just chewing tobacco I took out. That's what was on my pants. Don't get me wrong. I, I get uh, you don't. You never incriminate yourself. I guess that's rule number one. But at at some point here, Domingo, let's take a little bit of accountability and stop with the chewing tobacco and stop with the. Well, I'd only appeal if it wasn't going to MLB. If it was a new arbitrator, you had a sticky substance on your hand that you were obviously trying to break the rules. You got caught. Yeah, I mean it, it's kind of embarrassing when it's that obvious. You're right. I mean. It's not as fast when Contreras had it like all over his neck. That was still one of the funniest things <laughs> I've ever seen. Like this said, could not be, cannot be more uh, obvious than what he's trying to do. And I'm with you. I get it. Like even when you get caught, you never just say, "Yeah, I was trying to cheat." I, I don't think that's ever happened, right? Only in the history of the world, an athlete gets caught. There's always some excuse. And you know, I love Nando, but of course, Tatis has this ringworm thing, and everyone's always like, "Oh, you know, sure's right. It was just the Rosin." Like just once, the guy goes, "Yeah, I was trying to cheat. It's not me. Whatever. It happens." Like, I, I would respect the guy so much. But, like you said, it was just so obvious. And and Herman's been caught before. Like, I don't mean to be mean-spirited, but that's just dumb. And he's really important to that Yankee pitching staff right now. Cole's been incredible. He's arguably the front-runner for the Cy Young in the American League. They're waiting on Severino. Rodon is yet to throw a pitch. They're hoping late June, which is wild. Six-year, $162 million contract. Guys didn't throw a pitch yet. And originally it was... Uh, I might miss a star. Maybe miss a star. No, three months. Like, what? Um, Clark uh, Schmidt hasn't been very good. So it's really critical. Like, Ramon's the number two guy. So to get caught cheating like that, like, dude, what are you doing? Like, it's – I understand you're using every single advantage possible, but you've already been busted before. These guys are smart. Umpires are not dumb. And even if they're being hyperbolic when they say it's the stickiest hand they've ever touched, it was pretty obvious to all concerned. He wasn't just eating, like, a Tootsie Roll and, like, you know, <laughs> smudge it on his pants. Like, that, that was just – that's just dumb, man. Clean it up. The uh, I think you'll appreciate this reference. Me and Steinberg 
whenever we talk about, you know, cheating in baseball, whether it's substances or on the hand for pitchers or PDAs or anything like this, we always go back. You remember Chris Colabella who played for the Jays for about a season and a half? Uh, you spell that absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Final yeah. utility player, outfielder, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So career minor leaguer is like a 194 for one year in Minnesota. He gets called up from the minors for the Jays, goes off in 100 games, hits 15 home runs, hits 321, and then all of a sudden gets pegged with PDAs and is just stunned, and he's been fighting it to this day, and he went tooth and nail into the wind, Verk, that he was going to find whoever – put this substance in his body and caused him to get this 80 game suspension. Me and Steinberg still to this day laugh about Chris Colabello talking about finding whoever it was that, that spiked his, uh, his, I don't know, his energy drink or something and, and put these PDAs in his body because he went from a, a minor league hitter. And then the one year he was using steroids went to 321 and passed that hit. Didn't even hit a hundred in the league. It's like, Chris, I think the evidence speaks for itself. You're a much better hitter on steroids than anyone else. You can just come out and say, again, it goes back to what we said. Never incriminate yourself, but at some point it becomes, you know, I don't think you're going to find a smoking gun here, man. I think you, you just kind of did it for yourself. I love that it was you and Steimer, by the way, both just, just you know, uproariously laughing over the ridiculousness of Chris Colabello. The the worst one, I mean, Lance Armstrong is obviously the worst one because Literally ruining people's lives, like just calling yeah. them liars and like taking the courts. Like it was just horrific behavior. But Ryan Braun was pretty bad too. Remember, he was questioning That's the right. guy who took his urine sample. Like, why on earth would a guy who's collecting urine taint your sample? Like, just think about that. Like, he really has a vendetta to get Ryan Braun out. Like, this is going to make him feel good about his life. Yeah, I took down Ryan Braun. Like, it's such a hollow argument to say it was tainted or somebody spiked it. Like, why? What's their motivation? Like, so, someone's paying the money to make Chris Colabella look bad or Ryan Braun? Like, it's just, it's it's just such dirty behavior, man. Like, it's one thing if you're like, you use some half-need excuse. Okay, whatever. But I remember Lance, obviously, and particularly Ryan Braun. Those guys were just horrible. And, of course, the truth will always come out, as we always know in life. Uh, baseball's been uh, pretty interesting lately. Lots of uh, interesting little stories to dive into. I'm curious. This one just came down. Manny Machado with that small fracture in his hand after being hit by a pitch there. Uh, it came back negative when he exited the contest, but he was a runner-up to the NL MVP last year. Bit of a slow se- start to the season. Same kind of goes for his team, Verk. Just 20-24 and 24 entering this campaign for the Padres, who I think were probably the favorites to compete in that NL West. Yeah, it's shocking, man. I mean, yeah, on Padres radio yesterday, and and it's stunning just how bad they've been, and particularly with regards to their hitting. Like, you you can't be this bad when you've got this much talent in your lineup. The number that's most glaring is runners in scoring position. He's hitting – they're hitting collectively 195 in that department. Like, it's stunning. Uh, Jake Cronenworth's hitting, like, 160 in that area, and Manny Machado's just had a horrible year. Now – I don't think he's fully healthy. You know, there's a story about he has a broken bone in his hand. He's playing through it. But he's hitting 220 with five home runs this year. This after getting that massive contract. Has like a sub-600 OPS. So Machado's been horrible. They don't have much uh, depth in their lineup. Like their seven through nine is horrendous. Like when you look at Nola, their catcher, he's all defense. Grisham, all defense, no offense. Hassan Kim, all defense, no offense. So three guys that are all D, no offense. Your superstar Machado's been bad. Soto was horrible in April. He's been very good his last 20 games. And my boy Nando's great. Now, he's not at the level of his usual greatness, like 900 OPS, but he's like 850, 870, plays a mean right field. 
he's gunned out a couple of guys. Like his throw, they measure. He threw a guy home the other day, 100 miles an hour. Like it's awesome, and he's so athletic, and his talent is undeniable. But their hitting is really disappointing, especially because they're playing the Royals the other day. Like the last game, I'm like, how do you lose to the Royals? That just can't happen. <laughs> like the Royals were giving them every opportunity. San Diego still lost, and yesterday. That's a 13-31 and 31 Kansas City Royals team, and you have your ace in the man on you, Darvish, and you still lose the game. Like, it's awful. Like, I, I, I am pro San Diego, as you know, always, not just because I love Nando, but I want to go to the World Series in San Diego, quite frankly. I want to go there in October, and, I, and it's a great baseball city. They love baseball there. The ownership has really spent money. Like, the ownership, they're top five in spending money and salary, and that's the 27th biggest market in America. Like, they're doing everything in their power to win – and if they're under 500, they got spanked again by the Dodgers. Like, sure enough, Mando, two home runs against Kershaw. He was great. They still lost two or three. This past weekend, they lost all three against the Dodgers. Like, it's bad. And L.A. had a quiet strut. They have now since turned things around. So the Padres have got to start hitting. And that begins with Manny Machado. And if he's not healthy, then just go on the I.L. and figure it out. But A.J. Prello, for all the moves he's made, so far it's the offense that is letting them down. Uh, wanted to switch over to hockey. Well, we had you two big stories in the league right now. Obviously, we'll we'll talk about the Panthers and the Hurricanes in just a second here. But the big news coming this week, Verk Tempe says no, pretty definitively to the Arizona Coyotes in their new building district. How many chances can you ever remember a franchise going through in any sport that you've covered going through this sort of arena turbulence where they've been? You know, Glendale's rejected them. Tempe's rejected them where they just can't seem to, to find a home and had a league hold on to something like a dream like this for so long. Oh, you nailed it, Logan. This is a great question. It is exhausting. I remember back when I worked at the score, uh, I was working at the score in downtown Toronto, 2004 to 2009. Now, I don't know the exact years. It's been so long, but think about this. They flew me down to Arizona because this was when they thought, Jim, I used to pronounce it Jim Balsilly, but it's Jim Balsilly, yep. was going to buy the team moved in the Hamilton. So I remember, like, I had to, like, my job was to come and, like, sit in a courthouse and try to understand what was going on. It, was, it couldn't have been more boring, more dry. And I'm trying to be like, this is why I never want to be a news reporter. And then I would go and, like, do streeters. Like, I'd ask people on the street, hey, what do you know about the Phoenix Coyotes? Like, who can you name on the team right now? Like, it was, it was Shane Donorbust. And think it, that was 15 years ago, 17 years ago when that happened. Like, that's how long it's been with upheaval when it comes to this team. And they were so confident they would get this vote to come through and that the plans for Tempe were amazing. And everything I heard was, yeah, they thought it was going to go through. And it didn't. It's like, that's it. Okay, it's ball game. They're, they're playing in this joke of arena right now, which is like a you know WHL arena, right? They're like 6,000 people. It's something ridiculous. But the whole thought was a loop for a few years, and then we'll get our brand spanking new stadium and as you and I know, I mean, obviously we're not Americans, but from what I understand is everything's all about location in this country. So if you're in Glendale, it doesn't work, but if you're in Tempe, it'll be great. Uh, for the Rays, everyone tells us, St. Pete's horrible, but if it was in Tampa, it'd be fine. That's where the Rays don't draw. It's because the traffic and the bridge, okay, whatever you tell me. The bottom line is this, the Coyotes have not proven whatsoever to be a viable NHL franchise. It's been awful. So, I, I, I mean, I just hope they just move on from this, and at least now it feels like it's going in that direction. Now, Salt Lake City is not the first place I would think to put a hockey team. I just was reading online. Someone was saying that's the favorite. You know I love Quebec City. When Steinberg went, I said it's one of my favorite cities in the world. It'll never happen because I can't imagine the NHL is bullish on the idea of eight Canadian teams. They have to get a new arena. As much as I love memories of Le Colisee as a kid growing up. <laughs> um, but I love it, dude. I, I, I mean, I just remember as a kid. I mean, nostalgic. Canadian's Nordique rivalry was amazing. I love the jersey. 
you know, to this day, I'm trying to think the last time I was in Quebec City, a few years back. But I remember I, I took my wife. She'd never been. Old Quebec. It's like 17th century. It's incredible. So I would love people to go there again, appreciate the French culture, and have hockey there again, and go get a Michel Goulet jersey. But it, <laughs> it ain't going to happen, right? It, it'd have to be some Quebec billionaire who will like, self-finance the stadium. So Salt Lake City, potentially. little talk about Houston, which Houston's the number four biggest city in America. That's always shocking in terms of population. So maybe it's about time Houston gets a hockey team. But hopefully sooner rather than later, man, it's, I cannot for the Coyotes. It just ain't happening, okay? If they don't want a team there, let's move on. How excited are you for the Final Four in the NHL? I know that there's some that say no big market team, no you know real superstar in it. We're talking Carolina, Florida. We're talking Dallas, Vegas. Does it matter to you as much, Verk? Are you still excited for the Final Four in the NHL? No, my interest is Wayne, man. i got to be honest with you. The last couple of days, no hockey's been on. The Yankees-Jacers has been so good that has catapulted my attention. But as you know time and time again, I love being able to flip. It's my biggest issue with streaming. I'm like, no, I can't flip. Whereas my, my direct TV cable package, I'm constantly flipping. So I need to have at least two sports going every night. And I said tonight, okay, this will be good. Yankees, Jays. And then I'll flip over to watch a little Panthers Hurricanes. But if you ask in my heart of hearts, like a month ago, I was like, oh, my God, all these stories are interesting. The Leafs, even though being a Flyers fan, I can cheer against the Leafs. I have a lot of friends who are Leafs fans, right? Obviously, major team. You love them, hate them. Rangers, same thing. Love them or hate them. I hate them. I can cheer against them. Islanders don't really care. Have some friends who are Islanders fans here. Devils, you know, my kids are growing up in Jersey. Adopted Devils fans. Okay, sure, why not? That's fine. And like all those four teams are gone now. And then I just look at star power. What's the best story? Okay, Avalanche McKinnon, he's out. Oilers, my brother grew up an Oilers fan. I know the Calgarians don't want to hear it, but McDavid, okay, he's out. So when you look at these remaining teams, you kind of kind of try to sell it. Now the Panthers, as you know, because I do send a file through Metal Arc, those guys are all Panthers fans. They're okay, a little bit of that, a little bit of Kachuk. Right? I think he's a good story. I think people know this guy's an exciting player. He's feisty. I will get some rats up there. Happy for Bill Lindsay. But Hurricanes not a sexy team. The only thing I'm telling myself there is Rob the Bod Brindamore, one of my favorite Flyers. We'll love to see him win a Stanley Cup as a head coach. But they're not an exciting team with respect to Sebastian Ajo. Vegas. You go, all right, hey, fourth conference final six years, maybe that'll get a little hump. But again, I, I don't think it's a juicy story. It's kind of like, yeah, a team that is all, like, imagine if you're a Calgary Flames fan, you go, dude, I've died for this team, and it's so tough to get any sort of measure of success. These guys have been like six years, four conference finals. It's almost too much too soon. So I don't think anyone's going, oh, Vegas is due. Like, well, yeah, but they've had a lot of success already. Uh, the stars to me, again, I love Jason Robertson. Ben and Sagan trying to regain their group fine, but not a very sexy team. This is a long way of saying, as a hockey fan, I will definitely check the highlights. I will be aware of what's happening. But if you're asking, am I walking in on every game? Probably not. I'll be watching baseball. Might throw a little basketball on. Get, get a little intrigued. Potentially Celtics, <laughs> Lakers, follow again. Yeah. That that lost in the steam too. I was pulling hard for the Knicks. They're out. Pulling hard for the Warriors. I love Steph. He's out. So I'm like, eh. <laughs> it's it's going to be a little tricky, man. Trying to keep up with it all. But hopefully, if it's good hockey, that always sucks somebody in, right? If I check my phone, it's three on the third period. I'm going to be watching. And we have yet to have one of these, like, epic overtimes. Like, I'm still hoping mm-hmm. we have, like, a, an epic triple overtime game, especially for you guys. You have an easier time zone than me. Yeah. If we get one of those games, I'm hoping that'll happen and really just be, like, an insane game. Uh, quickly, some uh, cinephile stuff to get to before we get out of here. The uh, the big one today, obviously, Scorsese drops a trailer uh, for his latest coming out, Killers of the Flower Moon. It's based on a, a book by David Grant. It's a nonfiction book, and it uh, stars... Uh, star-studded cast, not surprising anyone. Leo's in this one. Our pal Robert De Niro, uh, the never-ending father, continues to uh, have to feed his children, so he's going to be in this one. Uh, it's a late October, early October release, Vert, but uh, 
Good trailer. I liked it. It's a, I've read the book before, so I do have some background on this one before. But it looks like a, a pretty good trailer. What was your initial thoughts on this? Kudos to you for reading the book as well, as did I. We were supposed to have David Glenn on this week because the movie is going to premiere later this month at the Cannes Film Festival. Yep. So early reviews will be coming out, and then Paramount's going to give it the theatrical release in October. And as you said, then it'll be Apple Plus and streaming. So I said, oh, we'll get David on because, like you, I read the book. I got the email from my booker. Sunday night. You can have David on, but because of the writer's strike, he can't discuss the movie. And I said, well, obviously we're going to cancel him. Then the whole point is going to ask him, what's it like talking to Scorsese, De Niro, and Leo? And in fact, I read a fantastic article on Deadline. I'll send it to you. And in the article, Leo said, I called the author and said, you know, what do you know about Ernest Burkhart, which is the character he's playing? Yeah. He thought it would be too conventional to play the Jesse Plemons part. And basically, Grant told him, not much. And Leo said, great. So I can invent this Ernest Burkhart character. Because De Niro's character, who is his uncle, that's a well-established character. And again, Plemons is playing the Tom White, who's a straight arrow hero. Leo goes, that's not interesting to me. He's kind of a boring guy, very bland. I want to make the nephew and will concoct that character. So I wish I had David Grant telling me that story in Cinefile, but we couldn't have it. So I said, oh, screw it. I read the article anyways. It was great. And I thought the trailer was fantastic. Real vibes of There Will Be Blood to me. Once you see the oil drilling and that era and violence and compromise and greed, so I said, oh, my God, I hope this matches what P.T. Anderson was able to do with Daniel Day-Lewis. And, of course, it's Marty, who grew up loving Westerns. You know, to this day, he says, oh, my God, I grew up in all those great John Wayne movies and Dean Martin and uh, obviously John Ford, the director. So he said, I, I, I finally got to make a Western at the age of 80, $200 million <laughs> film. But but good trailer, man. Like I said, a lot of action. And you got the stars. Tenth collaboration with our boy Bob De Niro for Marty. And the sixth time he's working with Leo but the first time all three together. How cool is that? Really cool. Really looking forward to that one. I can't wait till we start getting some reviews on it. I know uh, when it pops out in the fall, it'll be something you and me get to chat about as well. Uh, Ed, and always appreciate the time. You're the best, pal. Thanks for doing this as always. We'll uh, chat with you again next week, hey? Logo, you're the man. We'll talk soon, brother. Thank you. Take care, my man. Ed Enverk, MLB Network, NHL Network, the Cinephile Podcast. You know him, you love him. He joins us down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline. Every single Thursday here on Sportsnet today. We got to get out of here. Hockey Central 960 with the one and only Haley Salvian is coming up next. She's got you for the next hour, so stay tuned for that. We've also got Pat Steinberg for Flamestock a little bit later on tonight. And then back on your radios with some playoff hockey. It's the Canes. It's the Panthers. Game one, Eastern Conference final. Six o'clock puck drop right here on Sportsnet 960 and on the Sportsnet television network for your viewing pleasure. We're going to get out of here. Uh, thank you to our guests today, Bill Lindsay and Adnan Verk. Thanks to you for listening with our live or on the podcast. And thank you to my outstanding producer, Taylor Dingman. We're back tomorrow. Same time, same place here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.